Our beer of the week this week is Shock Top. Their headquarters is located in St. Louis, Missouri. And there's another thing that's in the state of Missouri. That's the same state as our reigning Super Bowl champs. We're talking about the AFC West this week. We are. This is episode five of Perfect Takes. I'm your host, Stephen Patton, joined by my co-host, Jacob LaCroix. We're going to dive into the AFC West, a division loaded with offensive play callers and Andy Reid, Sean Payton, Josh McDaniels, and Kellen Moore. For the third week in a row, we have a guest. Today, we have Joseph Hefner with us. He's a writer at Kansas City Sports Network and has designed and published several great data sources with the NFL data. How does it feel as a fan to win two championships in the past four years? Oh, man, it's been an incredible past, not just four years, but five years. Uh, it's been five straight AFC championship games. We went 50 years between championships. We won Super Bowl four back in 1970 and then nothing until Super Bowl 54 um, in 2019. Um, we went 22 years without a playoff victory. I, it's just been like, that was most of my life. I was six the last time when, uh, when Joe Montana um, almost took us to the Super Bowl. I was six. Like, I, I don't even wow. remember it. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was what, 23 years old then? Then, uh, no, I'm sorry. I was 28 years old when we first won a, uh, when I first lived through a playoff victory that I actually remembered. Alex and Smith versus Houston. That's right. Yeah. And Niall Davis took the opening kickoff back for a touchdown and, uh, we won like 30 to three or something. It was a route, whatever it was. Yeah, I think you, you guys went into Houston because they won their division and you, you shellacked them at home. It was it was pretty fun to watch. Yep. Yeah, it was it was an incredible game. And then, of course, the uh, the next week wasn't we lost. So we don't uh, need to get any further into that or any of the other uh, playoff losses with Alex Smith at the helm. Because they're all pretty, uh, pretty distressing, but we've had uh, we've had Mahomes for the past five years, and uh, his 2018 MVP season was one one I'll never forget. It was just an absolute blast from start to finish, and uh, I legitimately never believed I'd see a Chiefs team like this. A single championship in my lifetime was like as far as I ever dared to hope, and now we've been to three Super Bowls in five years, and we've won two of them. It's incredible. And you've hosted five AFC championship games. Like it's, it's insane. Like just how yeah. dominant you guys have been. Yeah. Like the worst we finished since Mahomes started was being tied at the end of regulation of the AFC championship game. The only two losses Patrick Mahomes has in the playoffs, not counting the Super Bowl, are overtime losses. Man. Must be nice, right? Uh, it, no, is. I'm just, <laughs> it is nice. I'm just kidding. Uh, we all know the Chiefs are uh, the class of the NFL, but uh, and obviously they won the Super Bowl, so they're coming off a big high. Yeah, but uh, right. going into next season, it might not be all sunshine and rainbows. They they lost Eric Bieniemy finally. Mm -hmm. uh, they ended up losing two of their starting receivers and Juju Smith Juju Smith Schuster. Jeez and Nicole Hardman. And it's going to be interesting to see where the offense uh, picks up where it left off. 
Matt Nagy is back as the offensive coordinator. So uh, there's familiarity there. So it shouldn't be a stark drop-off, especially considering that uh, Andy Reid was the main play, uh, play caller. But they did lose both starting tackles as well. And those two tackles were pretty pivotal to help prevent Mahomes uh, from being sacked in that Super Bowl win versus that pretty dominant uh, Eagles defensive line. So with all that going on and the reshuffling of the offensive line, I'm curious to see how they fare early in, early into this next season. Don't forget that they did add Juwan Taylor. And just like we talked about with Andrew Thomas last year, he was kind of a late bloomer at the right tackle position. They gave him a good 80 mil over four-year deal, uh, more than Orlando Brown got from the Cincinnati Bengals. And then they also signed Donovan Smith, who during his career has played 124 out of 130 games. So he's been very consistent and very reliable. Now, Brown and Wiley, who departed, they combined for about $43 million in guaranteed money with a combined $24 million in annual average value. Taylor and Smith got around $42 million in guaranteed money while averaging $23 million in annual average value. So the Chiefs got a discount, potentially an upgrade at the tackle positions, and then they were able to invest a third-round pick in Wanya Morris and hopefully develop him into the future tackle. Yeah, so on a... If we're looking at just Bienemy, um, Bienemy was a good coach for us. He was our running backs coach, and then uh, then our OC for several years. He's been uh, he's been the only OC that uh, that Patrick Mahomes has had. Uh, so I am interested to see how that changes uh, this year with uh, Matt Nagy as OC instead. Um, it'll be interesting. But as you said, like Andy Reid is the play caller. I don't think that I don't think that this is going to actually matter much overall. Um, Juju, um, he was a good, reliable um, presence for us, especially early on in the season. He got a knee injury later in the season, and our offense didn't really struggle too much, even while he was clearly struggling. Um, so I don't think that I don't I don't think that losing him is going to be all that impactful because we we only sorta had him during the uh, during the playoff run because uh, he was clearly hobbled. So Sky Moore's development should recover, um, should replace a lot of that. And then we've got other receivers as well. We've, um, we drafted uh, Rashi Rice in the second round this year. Um, so we'll see how he goes. Uh, we brought in Richie James from the Giants, um, kind of that uh, um, more gadgety role that Mecole played. Um, and then, of course, we've got Kadarius Toney, uh, who's uh, injured right now, which... Hey, knock on wood. Hopefully he comes back from that. Um, you have all been... these Giants players, Richie James, Kadarius <laughs> Tony. We do. We do. Yes. I've got a couple of uh, Giants friends on uh, Twitter that uh, we joke about that, that we're uh, that the Giants are basically our minor league team. You got Mike Kafka at the helmet. And what, what more could you ask for? Exactly. Exactly. We sent Kafka over there to uh, let us know who's worth pursuing from the Giants. Can't wait until next year and they send us Dexter Lawrence, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, he might be uh, replacing a certain uh, defensive tackle that the yeah, no. uh, that might have to. Uh, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I like. I don't think like you're saying. I don't think Juju and uh, Miko Harmon are going to be huge losses per se, but they did. Uh, they are going to be losing over a combined 1,000 snaps from those two from last year's regular season. 
uh, a little bit more with Juju in the postseason as well. So I do think it's going to be kind of a wide receiver by committee this year, especially mm-hmm. after missing out on vets like uh, Adam Thielen, who came to the Panthers, uh, Hopkins on the Titans, and then Odell Beckham on the Ravens. So uh, I do think that those young receivers developing is something that's going to be important for the Chiefs this year. And then another uh, thing I wanted to touch on with the uh, skill position on offense, I saw Clyde Edwards-Alaire got uh, first-team reps in training camp. Uh, what's what's that about? <laughs> yeah, so so there's a couple of things here. Number one, Clyde never did fulfill the uh, the first round draft hype that uh, um, that he got. That's that is absolutely true. But he's not a terrible running back. Um, like he didn't live up to the hype, and uh, especially fantasy owners who uh, drafted him for you know a couple <laughs> of years. Uh, and he didn't live up to that. Um, it's it uh, it cements in people's minds that like he's not as good as a first round running back should be, and he's not. Uh, I completely agree. That was a uh, that was a missed draft pick. Um, however, that doesn't make him a bad running back. Um, he's still a quality running back. He looked really good last year, um, in kind of a uh, running slash receiving role. Um, and uh before he got injured last year um so we've still got some there's still some promise there i don't think he's not going to be the starter that's going to be pacheco um andy reed likes to uh swap out um who's getting starter reps he likes to make sure that everybody gets starting reps at end camp um, but Pacheco's taking by far the majority of those reps and i expect that to continue um also Pacheco's coming back from an off-season injury so he's not able to uh take a lot of the team reps anyway because he's wearing a non-contact jersey he'll be fine for the season that's not a problem they're just uh trying to uh, trying to ease him in so that leaves some extra training camp uh starting reps for clyde to to take but the rotation is going to be it's especially in camp and early on in the season it's going to be it's going to be um pacheco and then clyde's going to back him up and they're probably going to limit um jarek mckinnon's snaps early in the season and try to keep him fresh because he's older and he's had some some soft tissue injuries and so they're going to try to keep him fresh for the playoffs like we've done the last couple of years and hope that he makes a big push um late in the season and matters for us when the games actually matter fair enough I, I couldn't agree more. Some of the best offensive play callers that we've seen, whether it's Andy Reid, Kyle Shanahan, they do a good job of having kind of the running back by committee approach where they keep guys fresh. And so you can make those pushes later in the year where you can activate a McKinnon and all of a sudden everybody's worn down, but you have a fresh body that's kind of coming in. So that's it's always very neat to kind of see those wrinkles and how they play out. Transitioning to the defensive side, we were alluding to the sky a little bit earlier, but there have been two interior defenders to record 15 plus sacks in multiple seasons, according to PFF. Those two players, Chris Jones and JJ Watt. Chris Jones is entering the final year of his four year extension he signed back in 2020. He wants to get paid like Aaron Donald, who received a lucrative extension after their Super Bowl win two years ago. A potential deal could look like a $90 million extension over about three years. If the Chiefs believe that he's not worth the investment, they may let him walk and play out his current deal. Uh, They would 
potentially trade him like they did Tyree Kill a couple years back and then or just let him walk like Orlando Brown. So it's very interesting to see. Uh, what's what's your take on it, Joseph? Um, yeah, so my take on this has definitely shifted as uh, we approached training camp and now we're a significant way into it. Um, I fully believed that we would be giving Chris Jones a uh, contract. Um, we saw the four uh, defensive tackles before him get paid this uh, this offseason. I think they uh, topped out at a uh, 24 million APY. Um, and so I was expecting Chris Jones, of course, to top that somewhere between 25 and 27. Um, with, uh, oh goodness, the Rams guy, Aaron Donald, um, obviously getting the, uh, the 30 million and, uh, Jones's, I expected Chris Jones to be the number the second highest paid. I didn't expect him to top Chris Jones money. The longer this drags out, the more certain I am that Chris Jones does want, um, Aaron Donald money, um, and possibly to top Aaron Donald money. Um, that's an incredible amount of money. $30 million a year um, is a lot of money for uh, Chris Jones, who's he's, uh, he's going to be 20, he's 29 going into the season this year. So any sort of extension, a three-year, four-year extension off of that puts him at 33, 34 years at the end of that contract. Um, and uh, defensive interior, uh, interior linemen, they don't tend to last too far into their 30s. Um, I wrote about this uh, earlier this year on uh, at KCSN, KC, uh, KC Sports Network. Um, but most, even top-end defensive tackles, they don't last far into their 30s, and the drop-off is pretty is pretty stark once they start getting 31, 32 years old. Um, so Chris Jones, he probably has about two, three good years left in him. And then if he continues playing, probably a couple of uh, mid-tier um, tackles, um, tackle years after that. But this past year, his was probably, it's pro it was probably the best year of his career, um, regardless of the rest of his career. I doubt that he's going to top how good he was for us. Um, in 2022. So we're paying him at the absolute height of his value, where it is very reasonable to expect that next year, he's not going to be as good as he was last year. And the year after that, he's probably not going to be as good as 2023. Yeah, no, absolutely. And something that we've seen some of these other star players around the league who are a little bit aging that aren't happy with their contract, they get like a one or two year extension that pays them kind of what they want. But like you said, it doesn't lock them in long term. So maybe maybe that's a solution here potentially. Yeah, if we could do some sort of like three year extension, um, especially if there's an out in the third year, I'd be all for that. Um, if it's a four year extension and there's not an out until the fourth year, that's that third year when he's 32, 33 years old. That that could be a that could be a rough year. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think, in my opinion, I'm not a Chiefs fan or anything, but I think uh, the Chiefs kind of need to pay Chris Jones. Um, he's he's the stalwart veteran on that defense, like not even just the defensive line, on defense in general. I mean, they have a huge youth movement. I think, what was it, four out of the five starters in the secondary in the Super Bowl were rookies. I think that mm -hmm. was uh, the number. Uh, they yep. 
they have an incredible linebacker unit, but all of them are pretty young. And then that defensive line as well. Uh, George Karloftis was a rookie last year. They drafted uh, Felix NUDK Uzoma, who I think is a great player. I he uh, I, I think he should have went a little earlier in the draft, but he's a rookie as well. Uh, they did sign Charles Amenahu, but he's going to be suspended for the first six games of the year. And then they drafted a nose tackle uh, late in the draft as well. It's just a young team all around. Oh, and uh, Trent McDuffie last year as a corner. It's just a young team yeah. all around. And so I think they really need that uh, that presence on that side of the ball. I was talking with uh, Steven before we hopped on the podcast. I think it was okay to let Tyreek Hill go because they still had Kelsey on the offensive side of the ball and they still had Mahomes. But if they let Chris Jones go, they don't really have that guy on the defensive side anymore, especially a guy who performed so well, finally performed so well in the playoffs uh, last year. So I, I just think he's indispensable for the Chiefs. But hopefully they can get one of those shorter extensions like you guys were talking about, like a two, maybe even Aaron Donald money, but in the short term, like a two-year 60 or two-year 58 or something. Yeah, if we could, I'd be, I would be happy um, doing a, if we could do a, do a two-year extension, that would be incredible. Um, because I agree, like we don't have anyone else, like everything else on our defensive line is built around Chris Jones. Um, so not having him would be an absolute blow to our defense. Now, regardless of how the contract talks go, I still think that he's going to be playing this year for us. Um, I don't think we're going to try to trade him right before the season. Um, and I don't think that he's just going to sit out the season because he earns $20 million this year and, uh, in new money. So I doubt that he's just going to give that up and uh, try to make that up on a on another deal somewhere else. Um, so I do think that no matter what, he plays in a Chiefs uniform this year. Um, if, he, if, we, if he doesn't get extended, then it's a contract year for him, so he's going to have to play lights out again, um, which, hey, that's great for the Chiefs this year. After this year, we'd have to start looking, free agents, the draft, trade, or something to uh, to replace him. Um, hey, we can tag and trade him um, next year. Although the tag is um, because he's making so much already this year, the tag is thirty two million um, wow. for him. Yeah, it's not the normal interior defensive line tag. It's the one hundred and twenty percent because he's making more than the tag would already be. That makes sense. Yeah, and like you said, you alluded to or earlier. Maybe you trade for like a Dexter Lawrence or one of these other interior defensive linemen if you have a new regime in one of these buildings and you bring in a, a young blood or a younger player in essence and you let Chris Jones walk because you can you can collect a third round comp pick. Someone's going to be uh, willing to sign him to a two year deal that pays him a lot of money and makes him happy. So. Yeah, for sure. We can we can definitely do that. And like. I think mostly you just need that star pass rusher, that person who demands the, uh, the, the defense focus on them. So it wouldn't even have to be a, uh, an interior defensive lineman to replace Chris Jones, although obviously we have to replace that position. But if we brought in, there's a whole bunch of uh, defensive ends, pass rushers that are free agents next year or um, going into uh, – uh, there's a bunch of defensive ends that are going to get paid next year um, or they're free agents. So if we brought one of them in to replace 
Chris Jones' pass rushing prowess and that get that dog on the defensive line, you know, um, that also would satisfy the, the, the pass rushing requirement there. And yeah. then we've also drafted a, uh, um, an edge player in the, in the first round in the past two drafts in George Karloftis and Felix Enedike, um Uzama, um, FAU. Um, so either of those, like we'll get to see Karloftis for a second year. Um, Karloftis actually got to work out this year with a uh, Chiefs fan favorite, Tom Bahali. Ooh, um, wow, that's a classic. He a, yeah, he was a defensive end who played for us. He was a, he was a very limited athletic, um, athletically kind of guy. Um, and so he focused heavily on his technique, on hand fighting. Um, he studied uh, um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu specifically because of the, uh, the uh, hand fighting and leverage. Um, and so Karloftis worked out with him quite a bit over this uh over this off season um specifically to work on his technique and uh another thing um tamba holly is a uh he's shorter arm he's got like 32 and a half inch arms and uh same thing for uh george um he's got about 32 and three quarter inch arms i think and so it's a little shorter than you would expect to see at the edge position and so he's going to have he's going to be able to have picked the brain of somebody who had that same exact issue that all of the tackles he faces have those longer arms can get into his chest and just hold him off. So he's working with somebody who's dealt with that and knows how to be, knows how to be technically proficient against it. So George's two biggest issues were his technique and the fact that he's got those shorter arms. And so Tombo's like a perfect coach for him um, for that. And Karloftis is not a limited athlete. He scored like a 9.3 on a uh, on the uh, relative athletic score. Yeah, um, he's very athletic. So if he can if he can combine his athleticism with uh, technique and uh, be able to uh, just manage that shorter arm issue, uh, he's he could actually be a force for us. And then, well, we'll see about Felix. Absolutely. And the thing is, Chiefs coming off a Super Bowl victory, the last team to make back-to-back -back Super Bowls, because that's what you're pushing for. It, like you said, Chris Jones is probably going to be in a uniform. So you're returning this very young, very uh, promising defensive unit. And the last team to go to the back-to-back -back Super Bowls were the Chiefs in 2019 to 2020. And so mm -hmm. do they have enough on this roster to repeat again? And I think when you have Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, anything is possible. What I'm tr intrigued about is how the Chiefs will generate pressure off the edge. You lose Frank Clark. Does that mean, like you said, George Karloftis, does he take a step in year two? Uh, and Eduke Uzama, who I thought, like Jacob said earlier, should have gone maybe a few picks earlier. He's, he's very powerful, very explosive. He could be a guy that steps up in year one, which would be amazing. And so then that leaves the last remaining question I have for this team and who is going to be that bonafide number two option behind Kelsey, because Kelsey's not getting any younger. I think he's still going to have elite play in the next year or two, but you need that next player to step up to kind of help alleviate the, the weight that's on Patrick Mahomes shoulder. So that being said, this team has hosted five consecutive conference championship games, and I don't see that changing this year. I think I think they get back to the title game, and they're going to be one of the final four teams uh, come January. Um, yeah, I I mostly agree with all of that. Um, 
it is going to be interesting to see our uh, our wide receiver core. Um, I think that's the group on our team with the biggest uh, margin. Um, so MVS, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, he's, he's likely to be just the same guy he's been all his career. Um, with Green Bay, with, uh, with us, he's, he's going to get you uh, three catches for 10 yards one, one week, and he's going to get you uh, five catches for 112 yards and, and two TDs the next. You know, he's going to be really streaky. He'll disappear for a few weeks. He'll come on strong a couple times, just matchup dependent. Um, I think the big question of can Tony stay healthy? Um, if Kadarius Tony stays healthy, that's a big boon for our offense. Um, we got to see like Andy Reed had a lot of fun with him last year on our team. I'm not sure that Tony is a complete wide receiver. I'm not sure that Andy Reed cares. Um, when you I'm have that sure kind of speed and explosiveness, exactly like you said, Reed, we're, Reed's going to put him in a position where he's just going to have open field to run in, which is exactly he, what he needs. Yeah, exactly. Like, so if he's healthy, Andy Reed is going to make him relevant. Um, I think Sky Moore, um, he, uh, so he came from a D2 school. Uh, and so he had a, he had a really big transition going into, uh, going into the NFL. And then also Andy Reed's um, offense is notoriously difficult for, for rookie wide receivers. Um, but he worked out, um, quite a bit this, uh, this off season with Patrick Mahomes trying to get on the uh, same page, um, him and the other receivers, uh, Mahomes hosted a, uh, a camp for the receivers. So he just brought all of the, all of the guys to a training facility in Texas. And they were just there for like two weeks, uh, just working on uh, routes and what he expects to see and where he expects them to be and stuff. So if Sky Moore can develop, um, I think he has the biggest, the best shot to be that, that dependable um, player in the middle in the slot um, to take over that juju role that we saw last year. Um, if I was, I don't play fantasy football, but if I did, Sky Moore is probably the guy that I would lean into if I wanted like a consistent, um, consistent 50 to 80 yards a week, um, sort of guy. Um, it's possible that he doesn't produce that. It's possible that somebody else on our wide receiver core steps up or that nobody does, but I think Sky Moore is the best bet for that. Absolutely. Uh, you guys know another quarterback this offseason that uh, took his receivers to Texas for a few days and had a camp for him? That's Bryce Young. You heard it here first. <laughs> Bryce Young is the next Patrick Mahomes. But uh, no, uh, the Chargers brought in kind of a new OC, this old OC, new OC this season. Another team that did that is the Los Angeles Chargers. They brought in a guy we talked about last week in Kellen Moore to replace Joe Lombardi. And he's going to have his work cut out for him. He has Keenan Allen, who's 31, Mike Williams, who's 28, Austin Eckler, who's 28, and Gerald Everett, who's 29, as his main skill position pieces. And they aren't getting any younger. So it was a good thing that they added a receiver pretty early in Quentin Johnston. Uh, but yeah, I mean... He, he has to get the most out of them. That's an, that's an old bunch. They aren't as spry as they used to be. I think that offensive line is uh, pretty good when it's healthy. We've seen the, a fair share of health concerns with that O-line over the past couple of years. And uh, the main takeaway is that the team isn't really getting much younger around their rookie, now extended rookie quarterback. So it seems like this is the year that they kind of have to be all in on offense. 
Yeah. And like they just paid they just paid Herbert, right? They just gave him this massive extension. Um, you know, fifty two point five million APY. Uh Herbert's a really good quarterback. Um, so he's topping the market. Um he I'm very curious to learn the amount that, that uh, Joe Burrow's contract is going to top this because Burrow's definitely better and he's been to as many Super Bowls as Herbert, Herbert's been to playoff games. Um, but this, 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 this uh, extension for uh, Herbert is right about where, where you would expect it to be. And it's not going to matter. It's not going to be big numbers for the next several years. Um, yeah. So they've so they've got an, so they've got an opportunity right now. Um, they've got an opportunity right now this year to make a uh, to make a splash with their current core, because after this, after this year, um, they have over I think it's negative sixty million dollars in effective cap space. So you're going to see a lot of restructures. A lot of people were honestly surprised that they kept Keenan Allen and Khalil Mack, not because of what they can produce on the field, but because of how their contracts were structured and how that was going to cripple them. So they really all are all in. And over the past two offseason, we've seen them shell out a bunch of money. They paid J.C. Jackson. They brought in guys on the interior defensive line. And it just really hasn't amounted to much. And that means the additions of Kellen Moore and Quentin Johnston have to hit to help put this team over the top. Arjun Menon, an intern with the New York Jets currently, broke down Tom Telusco's tendencies uh, before the draft when selecting wide receivers. The three wide receivers in this draft class that met at least six out of the seven testing thresholds that we usually see Telusco hold to, Quentin Johnston, Cedric Tillman, and Jonathan Mingo all met those. Johnston has made plays so far this training camp, just like he did back in college, but he appears to still be catching passes with his body. And I think that's a little bit concerning from a development standpoint. And you just worry in some of these more advanced defensive concepts, if you can't go up and win um, and get separation, if that's going to impact you at the next level. My thing with uh, Johnston is I don't think his skill set varies enough with that of Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. Uh, sure, he's he's going to be probably the best yak receiver on the team uh, of the starters. Uh, he has that ability. He has that long speed to turn any uh, catch into a, a big gain. We saw that in the uh, the college football playoff semifinal against Michigan. It's just uh, like you said, he, he still is uh, seems to be struggling with uh, putting his hands out there and catching. And he doesn't have that burst off the line that uh, the Chargers need, really. They have those older receivers, and it's like Eckler's the guy with the most burst off the line, which isn't ideal when he's coming out of the backfield. And they did with those two uh, big additions to offense. We got to look at their defense, where they didn't really have any big additions. They're just kind of running it back with an even older squad on defense in hopes that uh, they're going to be healthy and that whatever Staley can do to uh, to galvanize them can take them over the top. Can we expect the stars on defense to stay healthy this year? Like Khalil Mack, uh, Bosa missed most of the year last year. J.C. Jackson was in and out, and even he had, he had a rough time when he was on the field. I just don't know if we can expect them to uh, to make that defense one of the best units, even though it's paid like one of the best units in the league. So Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa, that's a really fearsome tandem of pass rushers. 
Um, they can get to the quarterback consistently and quickly. Uh, Derwin James is one of the very few players who can match up well with Travis Kelsey. Um, and so that causes problems when they face when when we face them. He, um, he got they, body slammed. What was it? Week two last year. That, yeah. that was wild. Yep. Yep. Straight up body slammed. It was it was insane. We still won that week. You but did. Hey, <laughs> but hey, you did get a uh, you got posterized. And a loss. <laughs> the only thing that matters. Um, yeah. But uh, so their defensive EPA per play was e- was below average last year. Um, we'll see if they can stay healthy this year and put together a real season. But um, if we just look at the 11 starters on offense and defense, the Chargers lead the league in cap spending. On defense alone, they're spending $90 million of cap space. And that's a lot. Like that's, that's just the starters, right? Just the eleven yeah. starters, ninety million dollars. Yeah, it's kind of outrageous. Yeah, and that's what I, that's what I mean. We we expect a bit more. And granted, they were mired by injury a lot last year. But when you have that big a payroll for your starters, and then you obviously have some money uh, allocated to depth as well on the defensive side, you expect more out of them. And uh, it, it just hasn't happened since Staley's been there, which is kind of odd because he was heralded as the guy who uh, he had the defenses that could stop Mahomes or uh, excuse me, McVay's play calling. And that's why uh, McVay brought him there to the Rams. And we just haven't seen that defensive uh, effort during well, his stint with the Chargers. The, what, what, Staley, what Staley brought and being from the Fangio tree is you aren't bringing pressure. And a lot of times you aren't worried about having heavy boxes to stop the run. You're worried about dropping back and pretty much suffocating the back end, which suffocates those explosive play offenses you see with Sean McVay that that really need to like get out in space and see open wide receivers. You, you lose that when you face a Brandon Staley. But with those lighter boxes, you're worse against the run, and the Chargers are 30th and 29th in rushing DVOA the past two years under Staley. And I understand the first year in the system, you don't have guys in the interior defensive line. I get that. But last all season, they added Khalil Mack, Sebastian Joseph Day, and Austin Johnson. And they didn't mitigate the issues. So when you're running the same unit back and everybody's a year older, it's just, it's really head scratching because I don't see Staley changing his scheme. I think you made a good point when you said, uh, that first year, he didn't have his guys in the system, but last year he did. This year, with all of his guys fitting his system, it's do or die for Staley. I mean, I think a lot of people were kind of questioning why uh, they didn't bring in a new coach this past offseason. I, I know, Steve, you were a big proponent that they uh, add a coach that we'll talk about later in the podcast, perhaps. But, uh, yeah, this is it for Staley. I mean, he had to let go of the offensive coordinator last year. Um which is usually a, usually a sign that the head coach is on the, the hot seat. So uh, that's really my main takeaway with the Chargers is that they have to be successful for Staley's sake if he wants to remain the head coach. We we haven't talked about what happened in Jacksonville. But what after that happened, it was either Staley gets fired or, and what they did, Joe Lombardi got fired. Uh, he was a year removed from helping lead the Chargers to a top five offense and points scored and yards gained in 2021. 
Last year, Lombardi dealt with injuries to starters like Rashawn Slater, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, along with dealing with Herbert's rib injury early on. Like week two, he gets his ribs injured. Mm-hmm. So to mask those deficiencies on offense, Lombardi schemed a passing offense that was quick and short to protect his quarterback. And even with all those injuries, the Chargers still ranked 13th in points and ninth in yards gained this past year. So I understand Kellen Moore. He's orchestrated some great offenses in Dallas. And if everybody stays healthy with the Chargers, it'll probably look great like it did back in 2021. But when you're seeing how this roster is constructed and you see how old it is and how much they have invested into it from a monetary standpoint, I don't think the addition of Kellen Moore is going to fix that. This is a team that squandered an opportunity to make the most out of Herbert's rookie contract. And that's that's that. Yeah, and they've had um, they've had injury issues for years now. Like last year's injuries uh, weren't they weren't out of line with injuries from previous years. It's not something that seems to be going away for them. Um, like, but but also like if the Chargers don't make some actual noise this year, yeah, I'd say Staley's probably gone. Like they've got two more years of Herbert on a rookie deal with a fifth year option. And in 2025, it's only 37 million. So that's three years where it's not insane money. And it's very possible that both Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are gone after this year. Um, um, Keenan Allen costs 34.7 against the cap next year. Williams is cheaper. He only costs 32.5 million. Only. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Together, uh, well, Allen has 11, 11 million dead cap, and uh, Williams has 12.5 dead cap. Um, so will they stay? Will they go? Like that is, like you already pointed out, there's some negative 50 million in the hole right now. Um, they can't pay all of all these guys. Like they've, they've butchered their cap. Um, Austin Eckler is a free agent next year, and he's been a big part of their team. Um, like this this year... This year right now might be their last shot that they have with a good offense around Herbert. They're pretty all in right now, and the future looks really grim. And also, let me throw a couple of stats at you here. So, so they just paid Herbert, and I think he's worth paying. Um, because you have to ask yourself, like, can you keep pace with Patrick Mahomes after you've paid your quarterback? Um, Partly, that's a quarterback question. The other part is a general manager and coaching question. Can the general manager bring in quality free agents and have good drafts and bring in a young team like the Chiefs have done, where young skill players are playing and playing well? Um, But did you know Justin Herbert's best season average EPA per play is 0.18? That's honestly pretty good. That's better than Burrow's ever been. Burrow gets hot though, and he stays there longer, um, and so that's why, like in the playoffs, he's been so good. He's got, he's got, he'll have like several down games, but then he'll have several up games, and he's been hot in the playoffs. But it's hard to stay hot an entire season. Mahomes' career average over five years is zero point two eight. EPA for play. Incredible. That's that's goat level stuff right there. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's insane. I I think uh 
another thing in regards to the whole Burrow Herbert debate is, uh, like you mentioned, the the GM and the coaches have done a good job surrounding Burrow with a good team that can help him uh, even when he's not playing at the lights out level that uh, Herbert averages or even that of which Mahomes can do. I know he does. Uh, Burrow does have good playoff performances, but not the best. And so when we're looking at the Chargers, it's like you're saying the GM, the t- the organization as a whole. It seems like they're just chargering again. They're just they're not uh they're not following through when they're being gifted a top. Uh, what's Her- Herbert's what fifth at worst? So a top yeah, five. Yeah, he's a top QB. five quarterback. Yeah. yeah, you could maybe argue top three. Like he is yeah. very very talented. There is no doubt about that. But like the team around him sucks. Yeah. So. I mean, it's just like it has been for years. What was it? In 2010, they had the number one offense and defense and missed the playoffs. It's just like the Chargers curse. And until they break it, I don't believe that, like, I don't believe that their team's going to be able to go on to have great success this year. Uh, It's just what Chargering is. And uh, if we we move on uh, to another team, the Chargers brought in a new coach to help their QB this year. The Raiders did the reverse. They brought in a new QB to help their coach, Josh McDaniels, to kind of play better for his system. And uh, is Jimmy G, is the swap uh, between him and Derek Carr enough for the Raiders this year? What do you guys think? I mean, the, sh- the short answer is no. Jimmy G is not a, a needle mover in that sense. Now, to Josh McDaniels' point, he brings in his guys, Jimmy G, Jacoby Myers, and even Brian Hoyer. Uh, according to the next-gen stats, Jimmy G finished ninth in time to throw last year at 2.66 seconds, where Carr finished 31st in the league, and he got the ball out in about 2.93 seconds. So not like a huge discrepancy. We're talking probably like less than like half a second. Um, I don't think That's huge year, in football, though. It is. It, like yeah. that, like, and having a mental clock like that, getting the ball out quickly, it's what Jimmy G's done well most of his career and it works well if he knows where he's going with the ball. So um, the reports I've seen from training camp is he's looked slow and indecisive. So that's not boding well with that. But last year, a lot of people were harping on the offensive line. And I don't think that was the problem. They finished 10th in pass block win rate and 11th in run block win rate. Pair that with a quarterback that we talked about with Jimmy G who likes getting the ball out fast. It could be a more efficient unit on offense i'm just not so sure about the defense i'll be real honest with you i don't think the raiders are a good team right now and i'm not really sure that they're trying to be they've got some nice pieces for sure adams is a top three wide receiver in the nfl um they've got jacoby myers and renfro um behind him they're both solid players um if not spectacular they've got josh jacobs uh you know assuming that he plays this year um, they just drafted Michael Meyer at tight end, though rookie tight ends are rarely um, needle movers, so that's likely a future move rather than a true asset this year. They have Austin Hooper, too, so they have a, a savvy vet, a they young do. rookie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they, have, they have NFL players at skill positions. They have NFL players at skill positions, and they have Devontae Adams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have Garoppolo. Uh, so Jimmy G, he's always been a really interesting QB for analysts. He scores really well in several advanced metrics, but similarly to Kirk Cousins, he isn't seen by anybody as anything approaching elite. 
He's solid, he's dependable, and he's cheaper than car. Uh, Sporks yeah. books have uh, the Raiders season over under set at 6.5, and that's about Ooh. exactly what I expect them to win. Win six games and tie one. <laughs> You're if a bit you... more generous than I am. <laughs> if you swapped Carr back in over Garoppolo, I don't think the number would move at all. And frankly, I think that's pretty damning of both of these quarterbacks because quarterbacks are are needle movers and market movers. And and a loaded AFC West in terms of like quarterback play. And I'm not saying Russell Wilson is the quarterback he was, but you have some big names in here and Jimmy G is kind of stepping up to the plate and he's easily the third or fourth best quarterback in this division. Yeah, yeah, easily. Um, and like, it's a it's the division, so there's six games there. They might sneak one or two there because division games can be wild. Um, but yeah, they're not they're not a good team. They're not a good team. And and part of the reason why they aren't a good team because we, we've been talking about the offense and they have they have weapons on offense. The offensive line performed adequately last year, and obviously Jimmy G is Jimmy G. But the Raiders' defensive line is is a lot of cause for concern. They rank twenty fourth in pass rush win rate and twenty 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 uh, second in run stop win rate. Chandler Jones isn't the pass rusher he used to be, and it's a big reason why the front office drafted an edge player for the future in Tyree Wilson, who should be a much-needed boost opposite to a guy that they've recently extended in Max Crosby once he returns from injury. So the the big concern I would say moving forward is obviously going to be that that second level and then the interior of the defensive line because they're they're starting Jerry Tillery and by Bilal Nichols. Uh, they were starters last year. They're returning this year, but... I, they they aren't really needle movers in that sense. They're going to get pushed around in the trenches quite a bit. I think uh, once Tyree Wilson is healthy, the, the defensive line should improve just by virtue of talent alone. I think a guy of Wilson's caliber can actually help uh, Chandler Jones and Max Crosby both improve. Like Chandler Jones maybe get a uh, – get back a year or two to his uh not as like incredibly dominant self but a guy who can get you eight sacks and still be effective in the run game and max crosby to step up even further uh i think tyree wilson's that kind of player but uh they're kind of taking a, a committee approach to the secondary they signed uh, marcus epps they just recently signed marcus peters uh what like a week ago and mm -hmm. that secondary is just uh other than those two, I know they have Trayvon Merrig. Uh, I think they have Nate Hobbs as well. He was a, a decent starter last year. It's just not a great uh, defense overall. Um, I think this will be one of the one of the lower groups in the league, and uh, this is going to be a big reason why I think this team is uh, not going to perform that well. Even with the, uh, I will say, I think Jimmy G is an upgrade in terms of fitting the system and being more consistent than Carr. But uh, I just don't think he's enough, especially with this defense. Yeah, I agree. Like Max Crosby is a fantastic player. Uh, did you guys watch the Netflix quarterback documentary? Uh, Mahomes and Crosby went at each other a few times, and uh, you got to hear the uh, the mic'd up for it. They're mm -hmm. both they're both just such competitors. I love watching Max Crosby play, as long as it's not against us. <laughs> um, Marcus Peters finally gets his dream of playing for the Raiders, um, though they're no longer in his hometown of Oakland. So there's maybe not quite the same dream. But they've got solid players in the secondary. Um, no true standouts outside of Peters, 
And I mean, he was a free agent for quite a while this year. He's probably not a standout anymore. Um, Nate Hobbs was a really good fifth round pick for them. Um, but yeah, their defense is not, they've got Max Crosby. We'll see what happens with Tyree Wilson and there's nobody else you care about. No, I, it's, it's slim pickings on that side of the ball. And it seems to be echoing in the dawn of probably a new regime next off season. What sucks though, is that the Raiders last year became the fourth team in NFL history to blow four 13 point leads in a single season. One of those coming against the Kansas city chiefs. And this, this team usually would come out of the gates hot, but they, at the end of the game, they couldn't sustain drives and they let their opponents back in. Going into this season, there's just too much uncertainty about Jimmy G's health. Like we talked about on defense, there's just not enough talent. And I don't think they're capable to make a playoff push. This isn't like a surprise team that's going to come out of nowhere and, and make a push or a bidding. At best, they may finish third in the division, win like six, seven games. Uh, worst case, they're picking top five. Josh McDaniels is gone, and they're they're taking Caleb Williams or Drake May. Yeah, like they're the forgotten team in the division for a reason. Does anyone have them higher than fourth in the division? Reed and Mahomes nope. are going to destroy them. Yep. I, I think their biggest mistake this offseason was bringing in uh, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and not just going with whoever else, it doesn't even <laughs> matter, and try for Caleb. Like, why? What is Jimmy bringing you? He's bringing you four wins, and you're going to get the fifth or eighth pick in the draft. Great. He's bringing uh, what I talked about at the start of the Raiders segment. He's there to help Josh McDaniels run his system. I think yep. this was a big move for McDaniels to uh, to kind of feel more secure going into this year, which I think we know, we all agree is a uh, a very important year for him as a uh, to be able to continue being a head coach. I think uh, he knew Jimmy G was a guy that could run his offense the best out of all the available options, and that's why they brought him in, despite Jimmy G also having, what was it, a foot injury as well. Mm-hmm. So all of their, uh, all of McDaniel's chips were in on Jimmy G this year. I just don't see how they had two first-team All-Pro players on offense last year, Devontae Adams, Josh Jacobs. Assuming they're both back, I know Jacobs isn't there now, but assuming they're both back, how much better can they be, really? I mean, they were did they win six or seven games last year? with two guys of that caliber and no real uh, huge improvement. They did bring in Jacoby Myers, who I like. Michael Mayer is probably my favorite tight end in college ever. He's just really good. So I, I hope he blossoms uh, at some point in his career. But like you said, rookie tight ends generally don't uh, move the needle. And uh, yeah, I think this is a sneaky Caleb Williams, Drake May watch team. I just, I just don't see it with him. They're definitely on the bottom heap when it comes to the AFC West and the AFC as a whole. Like this is a loaded conference and they are one of the bottom three teams. And that's just the reality of the situation. Yeah, I expect them to get to three or four wins at the absolute least, unless Josh McDaniels just pulls a hackett. Um, <laughs> like they've got a few pieces and Jimmy G's not awful. He's just not good. So... Yeah, I don't I don't see them getting Williams or May, but I guess yeah. we could. I mean, they're not a good team, so that's the worst spot to be in. I know Panthers fans can attest not being at the top, but uh having bad QBs and coaching as well. Yep. QB and you purgatory. mentioned 
QB purgatory, exactly. That's, what I, that's from... what I wish on all of my division rivals, a QB that can get you anywhere from 6 to 10 wins a year. From Kyle Allen to PJ Walker, we live through To Teddy it. Bridgewater. No. Yeah. Beautiful. No, he, he was at least serviceable. But uh, you mentioned that McDaniels might pull a Hackett. And uh, the guy who did pull a Hackett last year was Nathaniel Hackett. And so the Broncos fired him. What was it, 10 games into his tenure? And uh, these other teams, they brought in new QBs, new uh, coordinators on offense. The Broncos couldn't even hire a coach, so they had to end up trading for one. But the one they did trade for is uh, one of the best play callers ever, and Sean Payton. I think we can all agree he's a massive improvement to Nathaniel Hackett. Uh, the Broncos traded away their first round pick, which was uh, that was that pick that uh, we talked about, Steve, that's been traded like four times. And, yeah, four or five times. Yeah, four or five times, something crazy. Uh, they they got it from in the Bradley Chubb deal. And uh, the big question is, can Sean Payton save Russ from uh, that disaster last year? Sean Payton is a massive upgrade to Nathaniel Hackett, uh, regardless of how you feel about his comments towards Hackett to the media. <laughs> this offense is going to move the ball a lot more efficiently in 2023. Remember, this was a team last year that – had they averaged just 18 points per game on offense near the bottom of the league, I think that would rank like 25th, 26th. Like it's, it's nothing special. They would have won nine to 10 games last year. So when you, when you take that into consideration, you know what Sean Payton's capable of. They're getting their starting left tackle and Garrett Bowles back along with John Javante Williams. They added Ben Powers and Sam J. P. Ryan in free agency. And I think the only concern that I'm looking at at this offense is their wide receiver room. As of last Monday, the Broncos lost both Tim Patrick to an Achilles injury and KJ Hamler to a non-football injury. They need their backups and rookie Marvin Mims and Marquez Stevenson to step up in that wide receiver three role. Yeah, the Broncos do have some nice pieces on offense. Like Jerry Judy, he hasn't lived up to his round one billing, but he's not terrible. Um, Cortland Sutton is a really good wide receiver. It's incredibly sad that Tim Patrick suffered yet another season-ending injury already. He's a good wide receiver who I think more people would know about if Denver had anything remotely close to an NFL quarterback the last few years. I think he would have worked with Russ pretty well, too. His skill set is uh, it's like a, a Tyler Lockett light, maybe a little taller, like running those deep routes and catching those uh, those beautiful Russ uh, moon balls. I think it would have worked really well last year, but like you said, it's a shame. Yeah, I agree. Like I'm not I'm not particularly too sad that I won't that I won't get to see that connection on the field, but you know I would root for Tim Patrick if he was on another team. Fair enough. I think we all feel that way about our division rivals. <laughs> exactly. Um, I wasn't pleased to see Sean Payton come to Denver. He's a really good coach, and he had a year off to just watch the league, see the direction that it's going, and kind of renew his coaching philosophy, his uh, playbook and everything. He's probably going to be a good good for that team. Um, a first-round pick is a lot to spend on a coach, but they've tried the whole hire a new guy thing and uh, hire retread things, and it hasn't gone well for them. I think they needed someone with a pedigree and the gravitas to be able to handle the diva nature of Russell Wilson that we heard about all of last year. Um, Peyton has that. If he can get Russell Wilson back to form, they could be a good offense, possibly get as high as like a top 10 offense. 
I don't I don't think that he even needs to get Russ back to form. I just think he needs to get him to be average or even like the 18th best QB in the league or something like that. Because like uh, Steven was saying, with the way that defense played last year, they just needed to be an average offense and they would have been fine. They would have, I don't know if they would have made the playoffs, but they would have made a push. And speaking of that defense, I mean, they did lose Ejiro Evero to the Panthers. I'm, I'm glad for that. But they still have a lot of talent on that uh, defensive front, especially the the deal or the the front seven as a whole. I mean, Zach Allen they brought in to replace Draymond Jones. They drafted Drew Sanders, the uh, linebacker from Arkansas. He was formerly at Alabama. He was an edge rusher there and a good one. And then he transfers and he plays middle linebacker and he was really good there too. So he he's a lot of versatility and he can play pretty early. They, uh, they got Josie Jewell, Baron Browning. They brought in Frank Clark from the Chiefs. They have Randy Gregory. This is just a really good uh, defensive line and linebacker group. Uh, they're getting Gregory back from injury uh, and all these signings and everything. I think this D-line could be impressive. Absolutely. But I want to highlight how big of a loss Evero is. So just like Peyton was probably arguably the best upgrade from a play calling standpoint on offense, downgrading the Vance Joseph on defense is one of the biggest downgrades this offseason. And Evero was a huge reason why they stayed in games all year long. So Joseph has big shoes to fill, but looking at how well defensive play callers fare year one since 2016, they tend to do well in a good situation. Unfortunately, he has that in Denver with a loaded front seven and a young rising superstar in Patrick Sertan. So with that, Vance Joseph might be able to kind of evade defensive volatility, and we might still see a dominant unit going into this year. Yeah, the problem with facing the Broncos defense is that they're just good everywhere. There's no absolute star on that defensive line, but it is rock solid. And as you said, it's very versatile. Um, Sertan is a star in the secondary. Justin Simmons is very good. And everywhere else, they're just solid. They don't have any real weaknesses. Honestly, Vance Joseph is probably the biggest weakness to that defense right now. And I actually think he's a solid defensive coordinator who is just in over his head as a head coach for the Chargers. I'm hoping for some regression from that side of the ball to help balance out the improvements I think we see on the offensive side of things. I, I think that's uh, definitely fair to expect. Uh, oh, like I think it will balance out. Uh, Sean Payton should get a lot out of him this season. I think overall that is the main question is what can Payton get out of this team? I mean, I think he has to get more out of him. They're bringing a trading a first round pick for a coach signals that you're ready to get something started. And so he has to get him rolling year one. I think head coach is the only place where they're much better than they were last year, but that's an important piece. And I think he'll make the quarterback much better as well. And that's going to matter a lot. Overall, I think their floor is the third best team in the West and they could easily challenge for the second spot over the chargers. Absolutely. And bringing in Peyton, we've seen kind of the price for like an elite head coach be two first round picks and you pay half of that to bring him in. And we've seen so much in this league that you need a quarterback and a coach combo to to kind of put you over the top. So when we're we're looking at last offseason and remembering the hype around this Broncos franchise, people thought they were a quarterback away. And 
just after the disastrous year last year was, everybody kind of thinks that this team is done with. And I just don't think Russ is as bad as what he looked like last year. And I think, like Jacob was alluding to, Sean Payton can get the most out of this offense. And if they field another top 10 defense and they're simply just average on offense, I think they can make a push down the stretch and really kind of not only be the second best team in the AFC West, but maybe get one of those final wild card spots in a loaded AFC. I think pushing for a wild card spot is probably where they land. I agree. Um, They'll be in the mix late in the season. Do they make it? No idea, honestly. I'm betting not. I think the AFC West sends two teams to the playoffs, the Chiefs, of course, and then one of the Chargers or Broncos. Um, I think the Chiefs, Chargers, and Broncos are going to beat up on each other and force a couple of losses that will matter come playoff time. The Chiefs have proven they can weather that. I think it will end up being the Chargers again um, as well. Yeah, I also don't think the Broncos will be making a wild card. Uh, over the past couple weeks or so, it's been kind of a trendy pick uh, to have them as an upside play, making that seventh seed or something, but I'm just not there yet. Maybe uh, in year two of Peyton, but I'm not there, and uh, yeah, it's kind of settles my opinion on them. So with that, we start one of our sections today. We're going to start with the top 10 additions, the first one being the head coach of the Denver Broncos, Sean Payton. We've talked glowingly about him. I think he's a phenomenal upgrade than Nathaniel Hackett, and he's going to provide an absolute boost in year one. We'll see how far that takes them. Again, it depends on just how volatile the defense is and really what's left in the tank for Russ. Yeah, I think he's uh, probably the biggest addition by far. Um, Second one I would say is Kellen Moore, another coach that's been brought in to uh, improve the offense of the team that he's joining. I think uh, what we talked about with the Chargers kind of being all in and not really having the cap space to make changes, I think they're expecting him to do big things for that offense and for Justin Herbert as well. So that's why he is that important. And then uh, for we always have our guests do the additions and subtractions for their team. So, uh, Joseph, yeah. you'll be up for uh, – those guys so uh so the third edition is uh jawan taylor um right tackle for the chiefs um so we lost orlando brown jr and replaced him essentially with uh jawan taylor um orlando played left tackle for us and taylor's gonna play right but uh essentially like the contract was the same we gave the orlando brown money that he turned down to uh jawan taylor um taylor's a He's a really athletic um, tackle that's going to match Patrick Mahomes' style quite a bit more than uh, Orlando Brown, um, who is much more limited. Um, Patrick Mahomes likes to move around. He likes to do deep drops. And Jawan Taylor is athletic enough to be able to match that in ways that Orlando just couldn't. So we'll see how this works out, but I am pretty excited to see him in a Chiefs uniform. Um, directly replacing Orlando Brown at left tackle is Donovan Smith, who uh, had a pretty down year last year, um, but he's been pretty good overall. Last year, he had quite a bit of injuries, um, so I think that that had a big effect on um, on his production. But uh, he's been he's been good. He's been more good than bad. And early training camp reports 
um, have him looking very good out there. Yeah, no, he's. At, at, yeah, he's, I was gonna say he's been a stalwart his uh, his whole career, and that's uh, if you're bring if you're spending a lot of money on one side of the line, bringing in a guy like that is what you need on the other side. And and they paid him like pennies on the dollar. It was a one year deal, but again, it's one of those things. It was a smart, savvy move. You bring in a guy that's really solid at the position. You know what you got in him, and that leads in the number five, the fifth best addition in the AFC West, we have Jimmy Garoppolo. And if he can stay healthy for most of the season, I think he's going to operate this offense more efficiently than Derek Carr did. And I think that is a boost to that offense. And maybe it does raise their floor a little bit. I don't think it's a needle mover. I don't think it puts them over the top, but it keeps them competitive and probably away from the Drake uh, May, Caleb Williams sweepstakes. Absolutely. Uh, a guy they brought in for him to throw to is uh, Jacoby Myers, who's our number six, mo six most important addition to this division. Uh, they already have Hunter Renfro, who's kind of their slot guy, but he had a down year last year. And uh, hopefully McDaniels can utilize both of those guys, Devontae Adams, Josh Jacobs, if he's there, and Austin Hooper slash Mayer to their full potential. And at number seven... We have Ben Powers. He's going to be the left guard for the Denver Broncos. He'll help solidify that left side for Russell Wilson in the offensive line, probably open up the run game a little bit more. And that should be exciting. I think it's it's a good addition. It's a solid addition. It solidifies a, a group uh, that Sean Payton's going to need to rely on this year. Absolutely. Uh, another receiver that's joining the division is Quentin Johnston, the rookie out of TCU going to the Chargers. I mean, like we talked about, that Chargers offense is pretty old, but they did bring in one young guy that's going to play significant snaps in Quentin Johnston. And that's going to be important for him and Justin Herbert to build an early rapport so he can be a reliable weapon for Herbert throughout his career. So another Las Vegas addition that I think is huge. They add Marcus Epps. He was a safety for the Philadelphia Eagles. I think he's going to bring some stability to the back end, some communication, and just having a veteran presence is, is going to help the defense a little bit because they need help. So I think that's a huge addition for them. And rounding out the top 10 is uh, Felix and Adike Uzama, uh, defensive end for the Chiefs. Um, so he is a, he's the Frank Clark replacement for this year. Um, Though I think that uh, Karloftis is probably going to step more into that role and Charles Omenehu when we, uh, um, when he gets off of suspension. But Felix is somebody that uh, we're looking forward to for the future. He's very powerful, very explosive pass rusher. Um, and so we're excited to see what he looks like in uh, Steve Spagnuolo's uh, scheme. Yeah, I can't wait to see him on the field. Uh, he was one of my favorite people to watch film. I think he's an excellent run defender as well. And uh, he, he might take a, a little bit to to learn how to be super explosive, but uh, I think he's going to be a great addition down the line. And uh, that brings us to our top uh, subtractions or losses from the division. We talked about this guy already. Panthers fans know who he is. It's a Giro Evero. He's our new defensive coordinator leaving the Broncos. He captained one of the best defenses in the league last year for a good part of last year until that really weird uh, Christmas Rams game the Baker Mayfield uh, nuclear game. But uh, other than that, he had the uh, the defense playing lockdown, 
and uh, really making up for a pretty poor offense last year. So glad to have him here in Carolina, but he will be missed in Denver. Yeah, so the number two subtraction is Orlando Brown Jr. And we've talked about him some already, but uh, Chiefs left tackle. Um, he's, a, he's a guy we uh, franchise tagged last year and uh, worked with to try and get a deal done. We offered him a six-year um, extension last year worth $23 million APY, backloaded, so it wasn't all real money, but... Uh, we ended up just letting him go this year, and he got $16 million from the from the Bengals. Yeah, no, definitely a solid addition for the Bengals, and will definitely sorely be missed on that left side. It remains to be seen how good Donovan Smith still is. And at number three, we have Derek Carr. And I think sometimes the best ability is your availability, and Carr has definitely been more available than Jimmy G has from a health standpoint. And so I think that can be concerning when you have to factor in the fact that Brian Hoyer may play half the season this year. So it's definitely a big loss in Las Vegas. Um, Chiefs lost Eric Bieniemy, our uh, longtime offensive coordinator, the only offensive coordinator uh, Patrick Mahomes has ever uh, played with in the NFL. Um, so that'll be interesting. Um, Eric Bieniemy should have become a head coach um, anytime in the last three years. And, uh, hasn't so he took a uh, lateral position over with a uh, Washington football team commanders whatever they're going to be calling themselves in a month um, to uh, to continue to showcase his skill um, so well I'm, I'm very interested in watch in watching Washington and see how they look this year compared to last year um, and seeing what happens with the enemy next year um, when the head coaching cycle comes around again um, we also lost uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, and I'm actually kind of sad about this. Like, he didn't make all that much. It was like 12 or 13 million APY, and that was a, uh, a contract I was, I was willing to have uh, paid. However, he is still, um, still recovering from that uh, knee injury uh, that he suffered um, midway through the season last year. Um, that kind of hobbled him through the uh, through the end of our season. Um, he's still suffering from that in uh, in New England, so it seems like our uh, our coaching staff and med staff knew that and decided to uh, just let him walk instead of uh, instead of offering him and trying to to continue to deal with that. Yeah, they're uh, like we talked about earlier. There's going to be a lot of young wide receivers trying to replace uh, what he brought last year. And another guy that uh, left the division, Draymond Jones, the uh, the really good, had a breakout year, interior rusher. He was with uh, the Broncos. He's in Seattle now. Uh, he was a really good uh, three to five tech, uh, just really good upfield presence, good against the run. Kind of had, a like I said, breakout year. And uh, those guys are hard to come by, and that's probably why he got paid uh, the amount he did in Seattle. And then another guy that left the division, but this was in a trade, was Darren Waller, the longtime Raiders tight end. Uh, I think all the fantasy players know him as like the the third or best, third or fourth best tight end over the last like decade. He's just been a, a consummate pro his whole time, and it was Oakland and Las Vegas. Now he's been a bit banged up over the past couple of years, but he had a lot of uh, good football left in him, and he should be able to thrive in New York with Brian Dable. Yeah, so. That uh, that trade is really funny because um, the the Giants traded the third round pick that they got from the Chiefs, 
when we traded um, for uh, Kadarius Tony, who is the <laughs> direct replacement for number eight on the subtractions list, Nicole Hardman. Um, so Nicole Hardman, Darren Waller, and Kadarius Tony all traded for the uh, for the same pick. Well, the first two traded for the same pick, and Nicole replaced by that pick. Very um, how that works. It really is. Um, we also lost Frank Clark. Um, we've spent we've spent a first round pick at defensive end for the last two years, so that should help to cover that. Frank Clark was a really good pass rusher in Seattle, but he was mostly injured. He had a shoulder injury um, his first year, a, a stomach sickness his second year that made him lose like twenty pounds in the middle of the season. Um, so he's just. He's had, he's had a rough tenure with the Chiefs, um, so we ended up just letting him go. Um, he took a pay cut for us last year um, because he understood that he wasn't uh, performing as well as he could for legitimate reasons, um, so no hard feelings there on his part or the Chiefs, um, but he is now playing for the Denver Broncos. Funny how uh, some of these players go to division rivals, and sure enough, Drew Tranquil a Chargers linebacker is now a Chiefs linebacker, bolstering probably one of the more impressive linebacking cores in the NFL. It's very interesting to see. Um, I think there was somebody that posted uh, a few days back that the Chargers uh, give probably the most, or not give the most, that most of their players in free agency actually depart to division rivals, which is kind of crazy. You think Melvin Gordon over the years, some of those other guys, and it's it's crazy, but that's that's where Drew Tranquil is here in this case. And it's uh, I think it, it bolsters next to Willie Gay and some of those guys, and they'll fly around the ball and, and definitely help uh, in that Steve Spagnola defense. Yeah, I'm very excited to see Drew Tranquil in our, in our defense. I think it's the uh, it's easily the best uh, – linebacker core the Chiefs have had in a very long time. Absolutely. Uh, and that kind of leads us into the namesake of our podcast, Perfect Takes. Uh, we usually uh, we usually give one or two takes that it might be a little out there, might not come true, but uh, that's what we're here for. And we always let our guest go first. So Joseph, what are uh, what's one or two takes you have for this division this year? Oh, goodness. I mean, is there really a take to be had here? It's the Chiefs division until they lose it, right? Like, <laughs> That's true. Like, no one's come close in the Patrick Mahomes era. There's no hot takes here. Like Everybody thought the uh, AFC West was going to be this, uh, this absolute slaughter fest of a, a division last year, and no, just no, it wasn't. <laughs> it, was, it was a cakewalk. So... so so I guess your take is uh, the Chiefs are going to reign supreme uh, forever? Something I mean, like look, that. we're not going to win the division at some point, but we've won the division for what, like six years in a row now, seven years in a row? It's a death um, grip on, on the AFC yeah. West at this point. Yeah, and like, I think that, I think Denver, I think Denver has a chance to challenge us in the next couple of years, but I don't think it'll be this year. Um, I think the Chargers' best shot is this year, and after that, man, I don't know what's going to happen to those Chargers. Yeah, you guys are approaching uh, 2000s Patriot level of uh, of dynasty. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, one can only hope. Uh, that leads into my takes, and uh, my first one is that only one team from this division is going to make the playoffs this year. Uh, and spoiler, it is the Chiefs. 
Uh, <laughs> I think they're clearly the class of the division. But uh, the AFC is just a gauntlet, you know. Um, obviously, the four division winners, but then you have teams like the Jets, if they don't win the division, the Dolphins, uh, the Bengals or Ravens, whichever one doesn't win the division, the Browns and Steelers are uh, sneaky wild card teams. Even the Patriots can make the wild card. So it's just going to be hard for teams to push for those uh, those three spots. And I just don't th- I just don't think that any of these teams are going to end up doing it. And uh, that kind of also ties into my other take, uh, is that the Raiders are on Caleb Williams, Drake May, uh, whoever you want your third QB to be. I think Riley Leonard is probably my QB three right now out of Duke. Go watch his tape if you like watching QB tape. But they are on draft QB watch. Uh, I just don't think they're a very good team. That's about it. I I think this this take kind of concurs with your first one, but I think the Chargers missed the playoffs, and as a result, Staley is fired. You have too much talent, and you just weren't able to perform at the end of the day, and that, that falls on the head coach. So um, I think two teams from this division go to the playoffs, like Joseph was saying. I think the Chargers definitely could be that team. I just there's, – there's too much concerns from an age standpoint for me to kind of – think that this team is going to stay healthy and then this leads into my final take about the Chiefs who I think are going to be extremely dominant this year I think Felix Eneduke Uzama will be a dark horse for defensive rookie of the year I think he's going to be uber talented if Chris Jones is playing and taking up two or three blockers you have him coming one-on-one off the edge he could rack up double digit sacks on that defense and that would be exciting to watch I think the only true roadblock to that is going to be once Charles Amenahu comes back. But uh, I do like FAU's talent, and I could see that for sure. Yeah, I'd be uh, thrilled to see that happen. I would love <laughs> yeah. to have another dominant uh, defensive uh, edge. I, I bet his, you would, Watch his college huh? tape. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm telling you, when you watch how he came off the edge, it was, it was very explosive. He got after the quarterback. It, it was fun to watch. I actually thought his best game was against Alabama, despite having no sex. He played the run very well that game and created a lot of pressure. But uh, speaking of pressure, the pressure is going to be on you again, Joseph, for uh, for our final uh, segment about the division. we got to give our division standings predictions, and the guest always goes first. So uh, lay it on us. Who do, right, how do you have the division is- shaken out? This is pretty simple. I didn't have to put a lot of thought into this. So it's the Chiefs until someone else proves it's not, and they're not going to this year. Um, after that, I think it's the Chargers. I think even with them charging, Herbert still is still good enough to get them to run her up in the West. Um, in third place, I've got the Broncos. I think Sean Payton manages to patch Wilson well enough to fight the Chargers for second place, but loses out due to a thumb injury or something. Um, September 17th, 2015, that was 2,883 days ago. That's how many days you have to go back since the last time the Broncos beat the Chiefs. Wow. They make it a fun game sometimes, but they always lay down in the end. September 17th, 2015, you said? 2015. If I counted right, that is 15 wins in a row. I turned I turned 17 that exact day. <laughs> so there you go. There you go. Happy birthday. 
Thank you. Uh, and I, I assume you got the Raiders in last. Yeah, Raiders. I mean, it's the Raiders. Yep, the Raiders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, my division standings are exactly identical to yours, so I think you're a pretty smart person. Uh, the, the Chiefs are they're, they're just the best team in the division. They're probably the best team in football. they got the best QB in the league uh, maybe ever now. I think we can pretty much say he's one of, if not the best QBs ever at this point based on he's his five-year yeah. resume. Yeah. Uh, may not be the greatest because Brady's resume is just crazy, but talent-wise, he's up there with Rodgers. I, I think he's the best. And uh, as long as they work out the Chris Jones situation, I don't think there's really much to worry about uh, with the roster in the uh, in the interim. And I think the youth movement that they've kind of taken on the past year or so, I think that's also going to help, especially giving all these young guys pretty relevant snaps in the Super Bowl. I think that was pretty important. Uh, I think the Chargers are going to be in second again. They might not have improved much in terms of uh, like roster additions or roster churn, but I think they're going to have a better play caller uh, than they did last year. And I think that's going to help Herbert to not be afraid to make the plays that he can make. He's probably got what a top three arm in the league, him, Mahomes, Allen. He has the talent. He just, sometimes, uh, he goes for the check down and that might've been the system he played in, but I think that's kind of the QB he's become over the past couple of years. Hopefully Kellen Moore can, uh, help him evolve and take those shots that he can make. But the big thing for the Chargers is just their health and particularly the health on defense. Uh, I think the Broncos are going to be better without a doubt. Uh, Peyton is a huge upgrade to Nathaniel Hackett, like we said. But the the volatility of defenses on the other side of the ball, as well as losing a Giro Evero, might hurt them on that side. I think the potential offensive addition and improvement might be offset by the, uh, the defense taking a step back, which is why I have them below the Chargers. And then... That just brings up the Raiders. Uh, they're the Raiders. They're just clearly the worst team in the division. It feels like they don't have a ton of young talent other than uh, this year's draft picks and Max Crosby. And uh, adding Jimmy G doesn't really move me. And I think this is a sneaky top three draft pick team. I'm I'm going to be the only one that's different here, unfortunately. I Like you guys said, Chiefs win the division again. I don't think that's in question. I think they're going to hit September running like they usually do. And it looks like they don't miss a beat like they always have done during the Reed and Mahomes era. I think Sean Payton spices some things up. I think he leads a promising roster to a solid second place finish, winning nine or 10 games. And I think they do that regardless of how you feel about Russell Wilson in this offense, which means the Chargers come in third in this division. Just not a big fan of Staley as a head coach. I think he's a great defensive play caller, just not the guy that you should have at the helm. I think he's failed to make key halftime adjustments and struggled to lead an efficient unit on the defensive side, which is his specialty. I think too much rests on uh, Herbert's shoulders, and I don't think the addition of Kellen Moore and Quentin Johnson will alleviate that enough. And like we've talked about, I'm not going to beat a dead horse. The Raiders are the worst team. They play in a division with two top five quarterbacks and a really good Denver roster. They're just, they're not that good. And so with that, I think we're 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 about wrapping up with AFC West. Actually, yeah. do you mind if I uh, throw in a uh, a quick rant, real quick, on a go for it. our wide receiver? Go for it. So, uh, so the Chiefs have a an undrafted free agent wide receiver from last year named Justin Ross. Yep. So. 
He's getting a lot of hype this year. Um, a lot of it by me because I'm retweeting literally every time his name comes across the screen, but other analysts as well. Um, Matt Miller, who does kind of a uh, KC beat, but Nate Tice as well. And there have been some others that have, uh, that have uh, brought up Justin Ross. So, so he had a shoulder injury during his sophomore year in college. And after the season, x-rays showed that he had two fused vertebrae in his neck. He was out all of his junior year, came back 2021. He put up decent but not spectacular numbers that year before going out with a stress fracture in his foot that ended that season and put him on IR his first year with the Chiefs as well. However, in his freshman year, he was absolutely dazzling for the Clemson Tigers on his way to a thousand yard season on just 46 receptions good for an absolutely absurd 21.7 yards per reception he's explosive like people forget how good he was in college and i the the neck injury is concerning what have doctors said like is he fully cleared like does that look like something that'll come back in the future to haunt him um he was fully cleared like you don't you don't uh, he's he the the vertebrae are still fused in his neck but he was cleared for college because he came back played um, 10 games in a season, I think in 2021 mm -hmm. his senior year. Yeah. His senior year. So he's, so he's played a season after the next thing. Um, and then the chief's medical staff is notoriously conservative. Um, they don't generally let people play. They don't bring people in, um, that have, uh, bad medicals. Now this was an undrafted free agent, so I'm not necessarily going to read too much into that. We didn't draft him after all um but yeah like he's played football after that and he looks good in camp um and we have him on the uh um on special teams as a gunner um and as a uh, returner so if they had any real concerns over that neck injury i don't think that they would i don't think that they would have him there here's but the thing oh go ahead um, my fault sorry his uh his <laughs> team it. his college team had uh, T. Higgins, Hunter Renfro, mm -hmm. and Travis Etienne playing for um, for uh, um, Trevor Lawrence mm -hmm. um, in Clemson. Um, so in his in his freshman year, he got a thousand yard season. In his sophomore year, T. Higgins came on really strong, and so he only got like eight hundred yards. Um, so very good, but not quite as insane. Um, in 2021, when he had that mediocre senior season before going out with a stress fracture, um, uh, Trevor Lawrence had, uh, had been drafted already, and so he had something called DJ Wagalele throwing passes to him. That guy <laughs> yeah. threw for a total of 200 or 2,246 yards that season. That's a pretty big drop off from Lawrence. Um, that he had his first two years. So since the end of the 2020 Clemson camp season, um, he's played a total of 10 college games. He's been out for basically two and a half years. It's hard for a player to come back from, with, from that, even without the jump up from college to the NFL and coming back from a very debilitating injury that made all 32 teams pass on him in the draft. Um, the likelihood that he actually has a solid career in the NFL is pretty low. 
but he's shown that he was capable of being an absolute star before. If he can get back to even 90% of the magic of his first two years of college, he could be a very solid starter or contributor to, to the Chiefs. And those first two years of college also shows massive potential if he is finally healthy and returns to that form. So as of the recording of this podcast, it's still the offseason for a few more days. Justin Ross is exactly the kind of player you get excited about in the offseason. I don't know if he's going to if he's going to have much in the in the way of an NFL future. If I were to put money on it, I'd probably say he flames out in three years or less. But if he hits his ceiling, oh man, do I want to see that player. What a story that would be. Absolutely. Uh, here's the thing about Ross. I'm an Alabama fan. You may not know this. And uh, <laughs> out of all the players I've been watching since the Greg McElroy days back when I was in middle school, out of all the players I have ever seen Bama go up against, Justin Ross is the one that haunts me the most. Seeing what he did in that national championship game, he absolutely destroyed us. Uh, he His talent's mm-hmm. up there with people like, in my opinion, obviously he only played, he was only healthy really for one year. But if we extrapolate that, I mean, his talent would be up there, like to me, with Jamar Chase as a prospect, with... Uh, with Junior coming out of uh, Ohio State this upcoming year, like that kind of that's some level. high praise, yeah. yeah. And so if if he's healthy and he can get back to that, he is absolutely a guy that could tear it up at the NFL level. And after what he's been through, even a guy that uh, hated watching what he did to my team, he's a guy that you got to root for. So I'm rooting yeah, for him one hundred percent to uh, to make the team, make the practice squad, whatever his uh, I, real, realistic ceiling is for this year, and hopefully he can stick around. He's one of the best. Yeah, and our wide receiver core is not stacked right now. Exactly. Like, like Sky Moore, like we've, we've, got a, we've, got, we've got some pieces that might be good. Sky Moore is looking really good in camp. Um, if Kadarius Tony stays healthy, he's going to have a big season. Rashi Rice is getting some good reviews, so we'll see about that. Like, if we hit on one of those, it's going to be a big boon to our offense. Um, it's, um, one of those also including uh, Justin Ross. But if we hit on more than one of those guys, man, y'all should have taken us out last year because we're coming for this whole decade of championships. Yeah, one of those guys could uh, potentially be the guy they need to replace uh, Kelsey's impact, maybe. That's right. But... Uh... So we're getting towards the end, which is normally where we do our Panthers talk because we are a Panthers podcast. But before we get there, we want to give you a chance to plug yourself. Uh, where can people find you? What What are you working on? All that kind of stuff. Yeah. Any big, big projects in the works that should be coming out this fall? Um, yeah. So I'm uh, I'm mostly on Twitter uh, at Joseph Hefe. Um you can find most of my stuff there. I just put out a, uh, a personal website at hefeshandiwork.com. That's hefe with a J. And uh, so all of my uh, all of my shiny apps are right there. I've got I've got four different shiny apps. One that uh, looks at team formations. One that uh, is an NFL trade calculator app. Um, one that just gives you a uh, printout uh, or a uh, an image of a uh, of your team schedules um, that you can use as like a uh, a phone app, um, a phone background, 
And then an all 22 app that gives you a, uh, you can look up individual plays and stuff and uh, help to uh, locate the, in the all 22 film, help to locate where to find those plays. Um, but you can find all of my work there. Um, and then I also uh, um, produce graphics and uh, articles for uh, KC Sports Network, um, which is a pretty awesome, uh, awesome company that I've uh, been working for for most of a year now. Yeah, so. you put out some some great pieces, and I think you're underselling, especially the trade calculator app. Uh, some of you guys might not know, but when it dropped initially, it was uh, you had so many clicks or views that you had to get it onto a website. Ben Baldwin was helping you with that, and then obviously <laughs> you have transferred it to a website. But it's it's one of those things where it, these are things that we haven't seen in the NFL analytics community, and it's these cool wrinkles that you've you've added is is cemented you into the NFL. NFL verse, which is awesome. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. No, that was that was a lot of fun to build. That one and the uh, um, and the formations app are the two that I think are the uh, the most useful generally. So, yeah, yeah, if you hear me me quoting personnel numbers, I'm I'm using Joseph's uh, shiny app. I pull that up. I look through teams. I go back in years. It goes back to 2016. So you get a lot of good rich data points to see. Okay, how are offenses or defenses operating over the past half decade? Yeah, best shiny apps in the game by far. And, uh, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. We want to thank you again for uh, for being on. Uh, it's not going to be much uh, AFC West talk anymore. Uh, we're going to move on to our Panthers section here. Um, we went to training mm -hmm. camp this past weekend. We went on Saturday and uh, just want to share a couple of the things we saw. Uh, we'll let Steve kick it off. We got we got a little roasty toasty down there sitting on the hill, but we got a good view of what was going on, all the warm ups that happened. Uh, and really what was the big narrative of the day is that the defense just took over. Uh, quarterback saw some adversity. Bryce had several drops, uh, both in 11 on 11 and seven on seven. And so you work through that stuff. And what I loved the most was how Bryce Young conducted himself at the podium afterwards is the reporters saw everything that we saw. And they started asking him questions like, how does that like, how do you take that? And he was like, hey, we, we take these these punches to the chin. And in essence, we, we move through this like we get better by having these bad days There are going to be bad days and there, there are going to be good days. So just his mindset alone, I think, is going to boost this offense. Chark is separating himself as kind of the number one option in this offense. When we were there, Miles Sanders was pretty banged up. Um, well, not pretty banged up, but he was he was out uh, dealing with an injury and Blackshear saw a lot of snaps. So Kitty Lip podcast, a Panthers theme podcast. He's been high on Blackshear. He thinks that somebody you should target at the end of fantasy football drafts, kind of in those later rounds. He could be a third down back and see a lot of targets uh, from Bryce Young this coming fall. I agree. Uh, notably, he's also listed as our number one kick returner, maybe and punt returner as well, on the first unofficial uh, depth chart. You know, like that's not official by any means. The, the coaches don't make those. That's like the team media who makes them. But it's worth noting that he is the first team guy there. And some other special teams guys that we saw kind of just having fun were Johnny Hecker and J.J. Jansen. Uh, during the 11 on 11 and seven on seven periods, you know, those two guys and uh, special teams coordinator Chris Tabor were all just standing by themselves on uh, the close practice field, just 
Pragerson just snaps to Hecker and Jansen was kind of kind of making fun of some of the snaps that uh, Chris Tabor was given uh, Johnny Hecker. It was funny to watch. Uh, another really important thing that people should uh, keep their eyes on is the uh, the edge rush depth. Both I know Kobe Jones and Echo Leota have been uh, big stories among camp. And both of them had a lot of reps with the ones. And uh, I think they've continued to do so since then. I wouldn't be surprised if either of them made the uh, 53-man roster. And Especially if not, Kobe they, Jones. Yeah, yeah, he looked really good. And he played a lot of first-team reps. Like, this is a guy that oh, yeah. like, really came underneath the radar. Like, Marquise Haynes, YGM. Those are the guys that we as Panther fans expected to step into that role. And it's been Kobe Jones. Absolutely. Like when we were looking at the, the 11 on 11s, he was the one that stepped up there with Burns, with uh, Derek Brown, with Shy Tuttle, with Marquand McCall, who might be starting at nose tackle. That's another guy to, to look at. But uh, we did end up making a uh, an addition to that edge room. Uh, I'm sure everyone knows by now we signed Justin Houston, former chief. Uh, and shout out the Chiefs. And yeah. Joseph mentioned earlier Tom Bahali, the guy that was rushing opposite the Justin Houston all those years. I, that was that was a fearsome tandem back in the day. They were really good, yeah. Yeah, they were fantastic. Justin Houston got 22 sacks. He was half a sack short of the uh, of the sack record um, one year for the Chiefs. Yeah, that the uh, 2014 year, I believe. That year um, was uh, that year was vicious, and uh, even he wasn't as good last year, but he still had a pretty productive year. Uh, nine and a half sacks, uh, one interception, one forced fumble. And that was all on limited snaps because he was just a rotational guy. He's going to be a good fit in the uh, the 3-4 scheme since he's more of an outside backer. And he brings that familiarity with Coach Reich uh, where he was with in Indianapolis, I believe, in 2019 and 2020. And the deal isn't even that big a deal either. It's a $6 million deal guaranteed with up, upside up to seven, which is a lot cheaper uh, than what Unique and Gakwe got a couple of days earlier. And I, I think the biggest takeaway uh, from training camp, and Steve mentioned it earlier, it was hot. Uh, people always say the Spartanburg heat isn't anything to mess with. And so like, oh, it, it can't be that bad. It was that bad. I'm still <laughs> dealing with the sunburns today. Yeah, you, you, you got a little uh, sunburn. I, I was sweating just sitting there and it was it felt like buckets were coming off me. It was it was pretty ridiculous. But the craziest part is this is probably one of the largest training camp crowds we've had in the past five years, according to a beat reporter, Carolina Blitz. You can find him on Twitter. And that was it, it was very awesome to see that, to see the kind of support and rally around this young team that has so much promise. And some of that promise I want to touch on before we kind of move into what's going on this week is that Shy Tuttle and Derek Brown, when I was watching them on some of the 1v1 drills and some of the other stuff, is that they were pushing each other. And when you have two of those guys that can kind of push each other and reinforce the middle, one of our biggest flaws last year was sometimes being able to stop the run. So when we have those guys, when we have McCall, we have bodies that we can throw there. I feel much more confident about our D line going into this year. Absolutely. With that today, we had our first joint practice with the New York jets. I was at 10.15 this morning. Tomorrow's joint practice will be at 9, and then we'll have our first preseason game versus them on Saturday. So what I will say, and I know we have Joseph still on the pod, but this could be a firsthand look at a potential Super Bowl preview this week. We may play the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, but we'll, we'll find that out. Um, the, I would love that. 
it, it would be great. I, I like, like we talked about Bryce young hosted a uh, quarterback wide receiver camp in Texas. Mahomes did the same, like exactly. champions think alike. Like there's, there's, mm-hmm. there's bl- bloodline there. Um, the practices will be crowded. I assume the game on Saturday is going to be packed as well. Matchups that we should look forward to tomorrow. Uh, sauce and Garrett Wilson sat out today, but I am very, very interested to see if DJ Chark, Jonathan Mingo, some of those guys can get any kind of separation on sauce. And then how well does JC cover Garrett Wilson? Because if he can be clamps on one of the young promising receivers in the NFL, I feel like our defense can really take a step forward this year if he can play all 17 games. Yeah, hopefully uh, we get to see Garrett Wilson and Sauce Gardner tomorrow, both rookies of the year, which is just crazy that they're on the same team. Uh, I want to see Bryce uh, making some good progressions versus a good secondary. It seemed like he was doing that today. And then the other thing I want to see is our defense versus Rodgers. seemed like Rodgers was also cooking a lot today, except for that last drive in the uh, team's period where our defense uh, had two would-be sacks and forced an incompletion for a a three and out, third and out. And uh, like Steve mentioned, uh, our first preseason game is going to be on Saturday at four here in Charlotte. Uh, And it has been confirmed that the Panthers will be playing their starters in the first preseason game. We don't know about the Jets. But uh, it's confirmed. We're going to see Bryce. We're going to see DJ Shark, see Miles Sanders, going to see everybody, uh, probably for a couple series. But uh, it's going to be good to see them in some live game action where uh, there's actually hits being delivered. And uh, it's real football. It's not just practice anymore. Yeah, no, it's it's right around the corner. I know we're excited for how the rest of the season's uh, going to play out. Thank you so much, Joseph, for tuning in for this week's episode. I was phenomenal breaking down the AFC West with you, and we look forward next week to breaking down the NFC West. So that should be a fun divisional breakdown we have. Any concluding thoughts from you guys before we wrap up? Keep pounding. There we go. Thank you guys so much for the invite. It's been a blast uh, being on the podcast with you guys. Absolutely. Until next week, we'll see you guys.